We all know that staff training and coaches education are paramount in both maintaining a strong program as well as continuously improving. We also know how expensive it can be to send coaches to educational events, flights, hotels, meals, not to mention the actual registration costs. Wouldn't it be nice to bring the coaches education event to your gym? Wouldn't it be even better to see the demonstrations of the drills and techniques using your own equipment? Oh, and wouldn't it be amazing if your staff had a couple of hours each day to get some one-on-one -on -one time with the presenters? They could discuss information from lectures at length, troubleshoot. Ooh, and what if you could have a say in customizing the actual material that's presented so that you and your staff get exactly what they need? Well, the time has come. Cornerstone Conventions brings the coaches education event straight to your gym on your schedule. This is a personalized approach to continuing education. Sessions are led by top gymnastics clinicians and educators in North America and can cover technical, competitive, recreational, preschool, business, management, you name it. Find out how gyms are saving a ton of money and receiving the absolute best in coaches education and staff training. Email cornerstoneconventionsgym at gmail.com. Again, that's cornerstoneconventionsgym at gmail.com and get your staff ready for education and motivation. And like a chicken with my head cut off, I didn't know the nature of certain levels of pressure. You know, this was not supposed to be happening. I wasn't supposed to be on this Olympic team. So it was like a euphoric, innocent ride. What do you mean you weren't supposed to be on this Olympic team? Hey guys, and welcome back to a full episode of What Makes You Think, the show that flips the traditional interview format, showing you a unique and often funny side to some of your favorite figures in gymnastics. My guest today is a 1988 Olympic all-around finalist. He's a three-time Goodwill Games medalist and a World Championships team member. But you know what else he is? He's a juggler. He's a cruise ship entertainer and he's a memorization guru. I know, so many choices who it could be, right? My guest today is Lance Ringnald. Lance Ringnald, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Happy to be here. This is really cool because I've only seen you on TV. So I gotta say, it's like the 12 year old me is like, holy shit, is this really happening? Ta-da. <laughs> there you are, there you are. So uh, we have not met, correct? Just Correct. to clarify, okay. So we Not that I recall, so yeah. I know sometimes I do that and then in the middle I remind them like, actually, remember that person? Yeah, but no. Well, you meet a lot of people over time. Sometimes it's hard to recall. Especially when you're touring the world. But no, we have not met. Uh, so I do want to take a second to introduce myself to you. Um, I go by Nicole Langevin professionally, but my married name is Nicole Liner. My husband's name is Derek. My son's name is Bonham. My daughter's name is Rosanna. My dad's name is Roger. My mother's name is Donna. Yeah, I was just wondering if real quick, you could just give that back to me. <laughs> you got three kids and a husband. <laughs> <Ta -da. laughs> now, don't you give seminars on like memorizing names or lists or something? That's a Yeah, I'm heavily name. passionate about it. But also, you have to encode it a certain way. There's a certain way to put information into your brain that allows you to access it very easily. So if you told me, hey, Lance, don't forget this, or remember this, then I'll put it in the proper way. But in passive conversations, especially when you're going to hit on a lot of subjects, I'm just present for the content. I'm not encoding. So it's a whole different thing. <laughs> but I love that stuff, life-changing stuff. That is so interesting. And I, I stumbled upon that actually today. I had already prepped for the interview, and then I found that today, and I was like, oh, we're, we got to use this somehow. So how did that happen? 
Like, how did you realize that was a thing you could do? Or is it something you studied? Uh, something I studied. There's a long answer and a short, and I'll try to be right in the middle. Okay. But generally, uh, my wife, um, we'll probably talk about her, my wife, she just kind of said, Lance, you're so forgetful. You know, and I was curious. I was getting kind of lazy. What was happening is I work on cruise ships. Uh, I'm an entertainer, and I meet a lot of people. And I was finding I was forgetting who they were. I mean, to this scenario, I would meet someone on a ship, and a lot of repeat cruisers are out there. So I might go to another ship and see them, like in three or four months, and say, hi, I'm Lance Ringald. And they would say, yeah, we went to dinner when I was on the, you know, I was like, good grief. You know? Now. Yeah, exactly. It might as well have been that long ago. <laughs> but I just thought, wow, this is, I'm, everyone forgets naturally, but that just seemed a little extreme. So I thought, you know what? My, my wife thinks I'm forgetful and I'm in forgetting people. I'll just go study it. And I was blown away with what I learned. And it's, you know, it's just called mnemonics and it's been around for hundreds of years. There's actually a world championships in memory competitions. And the competitions are fascinating and it's what? it's long numbers and decks of cards and spoken poetry there's different events like 10 different events and so it, it's just fascinating but what really got me immersed in it is i i thought okay i'll study a little bit i i kind of learned these methods you know there's peg method method of loki journey method that doesn't really matter and then so my first challenge was i had to memorize the order of a deck of playing cards and so i sat down and i did the method it took me like 13 minutes I put the deck of cards down and I thought, okay, I, I should know that deck. There's no way. And I put every card up and knew the whole deck forward and backward inside out. And it was 13 minutes. Now I'm right around a couple minutes, you know, or under, but I was blown away with the results I got, you know, gymnastics, you've got to study a lifetime to hit that elite level. And, and, and memory most improvement. Don't. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, everyone's got their levels of something, but for yeah. memory, anybody can take a, a few weeks of kind of, practice and research and do things with your memory you could never imagine you would do so it's it's pretty I love things that give me results quick yeah and like a good cause and effect and that kind of I was just stu stuck after that loved it still do well what a different experience for you to have to work for years and years and years and years and years and years to get a result and then find out you can do something that most people can't and learn it that quickly like what a what a I mean, they can learn it quickly too and it's funny that that brings up begs the question the definition of work because i think like a lot of few people i listen to the podcast gymnastics chose me you know i was a hyperactive kid like many gymnasts are and i would just it's the one thing i wanted to do all the time so yes it takes a lot of commitment and a lot of work but it's that age-old phrase like if you're having fun is it work and so right. i mean it didn't take much work for memory for mnemonics but gymnastics when i look back good grief you know it's right it's you, you go to bed thinking about it. You wake up thinking about it. You're, you are immersed in it, which is satisfying, challenging, and, and the whole gamut in between. Yep. And it, and when it works out the way it did for you, wow, was that, that's a win-win, right? You enjoy yeah, you what can you be do and you get the benefit at the end. Crazy. You know, I think we all reflect on this. You know, Johnny made three, Johnny Roethlisberger made three Olympic teams. You can be the best in the world and have a bad day, be sick and not even make an Olympic team. So I don't really like the, the word luck, but you know, you, you train so hard to increase your odds of luck, but so yeah. I could have done better. I'm thrilled with how I did. and I love what I got to do and I'm grateful, but there's no guarantees. So maybe that's why I'm grateful because I don't know if you remember Dan Hayden. And if you've spoken to any of my friends, you know, I go off on tangents because I, I'm a student of the sport. I love gymnastics, yeah. but Dan Hayden was our number one gymnast pretty definitively in 1988 and had a uniquely bad meet at trials and it costs an Olympic birth. So there's no, it, it's a little bit different now how they select the Olympic team, but, but back then it was pretty much by the math. 
And that was a pretty, that's part of the evaluation system changing, I think, because of Dan Hayden. Yeah, well, it's true because it's if it if it is all strategy and you're basing it off of one day when somebody who goes the other way, right? The person who's probably a great fit for the team has a bad day, but you know that they're actually going to serve the right role. And somebody who's maybe not has a good day, well, then it, yeah, it's tough. But there's the fairness thing too, because when it's black and white, nobody can argue. And that's yeah. on the women's side, that's a huge thing that's been going on. You know, do you, is it purely strategy or is it part strategy and part black and white? And it's never going to be perfect because this sport is crazy in such a wonderful way um and I, I i would be shocked if there was ever a perfect way to select an olympic team yeah. that everybody's going to be happy with that's it they acknowledge the subjectivity of it when you have human beings judging other human beings there's always that gray area so i think they do the best they can i mean we could cite some controversial choices but i understand both perspectives and because i think they do the best they can and there's algorithms software that help guide the math too but you're right it's a complex judging system with judging apples and oranges you know you got difficulty and style and it's a it's complicated on that front and it can be okay. frustrating because that small subjectivity can affect your perspective a lot so you said you're a student of gymnastics and not were so are you still a fan are you still keeping up with the sport i keep up with the higher levels and international yeah. the level the levels are incredible these days so yes i mean i'm just when i say it when I, in, in my prime when i was competing i kind of knew everything about everybody you know I just I was just immersed in it I just loved the sport it's what I wanted to do all the time and what people were doing with their free time and in the gym was fascinating to me now I'm more distant from it you know my life has gone on I have kids now I but I you know like the itchy moras the, the big the big guns and U.S. I'm pretty up on have been pretty up on how they're doing and what they're doing so how do you feel about not just the difficulty but the change in scoring with the open-ended you feel like that you would have liked that if it was happening during your time? It's a mis mixed bag. You know, everyone knows that the 10-0 system. And because of that, I mean, how many guys in school said, hey, I threw the basket, 10-0. You know, everyone, it was synonymous with perfection. Mm -hmm. So when they took that away, sure missed that dynamic, you know, of a perfect 10. Yeah. But I, I understand also why they did it. And it was, you know, this, just to, to go over real quick, you got a 10 in the morning and someone did a better routine later, you're stuck. So you yeah. had 10 syndrome. And that's not a very effective system for judging the rank of athletes. So they did it to efficiently judge the rank of athletes. Mm -hmm. I miss, I wish they could have done that in the 10-0 system, but then you'd have elite gymnasts making like 8.5, 8.7, and you know, cause you had to keep them down for the room. And that's not really satisfying either. So no, it's not. It's, that's a tricky one to answer. Cause I'm old school. I, I'm 10-0 yeah. system, but I do, I understand the new system, but I do miss the dynamic of the 10-0 system. Yeah. And, but the thing is with actual gymnastics fans, we look at the e-score and we are seeing elite athletes get an 8.2, right? That's what we're yeah. seeing. We're looking at that. And, and sometimes, I mean, I see this on the women's side all the time. Like how, how was there 1.8 deduction in that routine? Whereas if we're on the 10 0 system, it wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have found that many deductions. So it's, they would have. yeah, it's, it's funky. It's funky. It's a timeless and, argument. You can do a beautiful set and leave out some requirement and the crowd's going, what the heck? You know, that was beautiful. And the things you can't see are the things that frustrate you. You mm -hmm. know, it's the things you see, you know, it's good or bad. So yeah, it, it's a, look, we're in the sport of gymnastics. We kind of get it and know, but if you're a layman, for one thing, most of the, the kids now are familiar with the 1516 system, not the 10-0 yeah. system. So I don't think it really affects anything these days. But how many people say, 
hey, it's sunk. 16. You know, it doesn't really yeah, fit. 15.25. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> always leaving room for, for improvement, I guess. 7-1-D score. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Funny. But, but then you go, well, is, is there a sport if there aren't consumers of the sport? And so we're alienating them. We like I have oh. anything to do with the system, but uh, <laughs> they're being alienated too. So that and like what you're saying, people recognize a ten. So that's yeah. the struggle, especially with men. Like you got to be doing more things to get people on board, not feeling like they can't follow it. Yeah, absolutely. Johnny John Robspicker touched on that very well in his yeah. talk, and I we share a lot of similar perspectives on the productivity and just the positive benefits of gymnastics in general, the most fundamental sport of all physical sports. And because you went over it with him, but I, I was thinking, yes, that's exactly what I feel about my kids taking the sport of gymnastics and gymnastics in general. I think when you see a gymnast do a great routine and a guy does a routine that looks even better, crowds want to see that guy get rewarded. Reflected, yeah. Yeah, and they don't want to see him docked so bad for a, a simple mistake or a technicality. I think as long as the judging system ranks them efficiently, and, you know, humbly, I think it does it better now than the 10-0 system. I mean, there was a three-way tie at the 1988 Olympics on Palma Horse. They all got 10s. And they were different levels. So what do you do with that? So they've kind of circumvented that. They're much better with that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I think another thing, and this, this became so obvious to me yesterday, is the backstories. What go, and that's a part of why I do this show. I want to show the, the entire person behind the performance that you see the personality behind the persona. And I think just in any sport, that's powerful because if you give me a good backstory, I'll watch a football game. I don't give a shit about football. I don't even understand it, but I will watch it if you give me a good backstory. And I had Suzanne Yockelin on yesterday, who's University of Georgia head coach for a very long time. And uh, we were talking about the Suzanne and Sarah documentary, which was this you know, they pitted the two coaches against each other and their rivals and this and that. And she was saying she didn't like how she was portrayed, but she liked the drama that it brought. People were interested and then they wanted yeah. to show up and they wanted to see it in front of their face. Like, I, I think that would be huge too. So I'm just going to pitch this out there to anyone uh, from NBC who's listening. I got the backstories. Let's get it going. Let's learn about the guys. <laughs> Let's get. I, mean, I told you this. When I listened to John Roethlisberger's podcast with you, I learned things about John Roethlisberger I didn't know. He's one of my dear friends. We competed and trained together for years. Uh, um, we could go off on what Johnny said because there's so many things. But just to, to kind of address that, look, America's got talent, American Idol. They're all backstories. And, and rather than looking at the one skill, like yeah. she sings or he's a football player, when you look at a little bit of the progress of how they got there, the process, it's a different connection of empathy. You want to watch, yeah. You want to watch them yeah. succeed, or sometimes you want to watch them fail. Unfortunately, fail. but whatever we're watching. <laughs> I guess the backstories create our bias, whether good or bad. Exactly, <laughs> you know, so. exactly. So speaking of you know, learning about people, I was just wondering, do you like my shirt? I love your shirt. I'm a huge, we, we kind of touched on, I'm a huge fan of Guns N' Roses. And, you know, it's funny, I've never been to a live concert of theirs. And uh, I mean, <laughs> not lack of trying, it's a long story, but well, we could talk about Guns N' Roses um, all day. But I don't think you need to go to a live concert of Guns N' Roses because apparently you have given a live concert of Guns N' Roses. <laughs> yeah, I like to mimic Guns N' Roses a lot. Oh, I, I kind of, uh, I'll tell you a funny story about that. Because So I, I sing like Axl Rose. I've heard, yeah. And I was so intrigued with his voice. I actually went into my closet, stuck a pillow so I wouldn't make noise to the neighbors and started going, bah! Bah! 
<laughs> trying, trying to find out how to find out yeah. how to produce it. <laughs> it was ridiculous in my closet, in my apartment. And eventually I kind of got to where I could do it, Sounded. made that stronger. And it ended up sounding like, I was just, it's like an inhuman voice, like in his prime, when you listen close. Yeah. And it's, you analyze that voice because there's like Dimash Kudenberg. I could talk about voices a lot. because I love singing and voices and yeah. Axel's voice in his prime, incredibly unique and powerful. Oh, my husband's a musician and he does, he actually had a grunge parody band when we lived in LA. That's this, awesome. this would be so on your page. And he would, I mean, it was parody because they would dress the part, but he, same thing. He is able to sound exactly like Billy Corgan. If he's doing Smashing Pumpkins, exactly like Eddie Vedder, if he's doing Pearl Jam, like he can do that. And he's, he's saying something about the, if you move your mouth the way that they do, a lot of times that will start to make that that same sound come out but anyway he was saying that uh there was some some study about vocalists over the years and that axel rose actually of of everyone has the largest range uh, i'm gonna get on the singing thing we'll do this but <laughs> as the rock tenors yeah i mean lead singer from still heart had a g7 uh, yeah g g like it's like a whistle tone yep. but, uh, and then sebastian bach yeah sebastian bach skid row huge yep. fan in his prime and great tone you know it, it's not just hitting the note, it's the power they have behind it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's if you've ever heard good opera, even if that's not your thing, if you've ever been live for that, it goosebumps, you know, it, that resonance, it just strikes you. But um, of all vocalists I've ever heard in my life, Dimash Kudenberg from Kazakhstan, uh, yeah, Kazakh- Kazakhstan, he sings in a five octave range. Now he, he sings in a five octave range. His note range is a seven octave range. He hits, if you're familiar, a D8, a D8. That's all. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just going to nod though, because other people. Okay, how about, okay. (laughs) I'll be very brief. Mariah Carey. Yes. He hits almost two octaves over Mariah Carey's highest note. Oh, wow. It sounds like a T. It doesn't sound, he does it just for effect. It's not a singing tone. Right. So when interviewed, he says, I sing in a five octave range. It's not his range, it's impressive. He has such control in that five octave range. He, he does it easily. Anyway, I'm a huge fan. Axel was right around three and a half in different tones, yep. but he's like a baritone, almost bass. He started as a bass in a church choir, but I love that range, you know, I get up around. It's just really, in that contrast, you know, you're down here in the gutter and up there in the sky. It's, yeah. it's an emotional roller coaster. But anyway, that's a whole full conversation, but the voice is fascinating. Will you text me the name of that singer that you're talking about? Sure. Yeah. yeah I want to check yeah, I'm that a out. huge fan. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I heard about something after the 92 tour. Oh gosh. There's so many, <laughs> you're probably making reference to the last tour on a six week tour, 23 cities, 1992, mm-hmm. our gymnastics tour ended in Albuquerque, New Mexico, my hometown. And it was very improvised. They thought, Hey, for the halftime intermission, Lance, do you want to go sing knock on heaven's door? And this was not rehearsed at all. And so they gave me a mic and, I'll say Stan Feig. Hang on one second. I got my kids here, so I got to make sure. That's fine. We always have kids on, so it's fine. Oh, okay, cool. Anyway, um, the producer for that tour, Bill Graham Presents, they they were all for just they would when we warmed up for every show in every city, they just let me indulge myself. They gave me a cordless mic. I ran around the arena just doing my, I don't know. I love to scream and sing. Anyway, um, the, the intermission. They actually let me go out there. They, they said, we got a special thing. I went out and I was singing it. And then several members from the cast, the majority of the cast came and picked me up, put me over their heads, just like a rock star in a huge arena 
in my hometown while I'm singing the whole time. Oh. Perched me on top of the hive. I mean, these are these are the moments that uh, great cause and effect. They're so improv in the moment, and you reflect on them. And you just think, man, what great people! What a great moment! What a great camaraderie! And that was just, you know, it's hard to explain those feelings of appreciation in words. You know, but in those your moments. Hometown. That's it. I mean, in that, it's like the height of your glory. And yeah. it's all just like for play at the time. You're like, sure, I'll do that. And, and, but uh, these fun, you talk about backstories or personal, that was not part of the tour and it was very improv and I was pretty well known in my hometown. So it was kind of like, I don't know, everyone getting together and having a gold rocked out time for that moment. It was cool. You know what I wish happened? I'm going to pretend this happened in my head because it makes me so happy is that there is like some D-bag in high school that maybe like gave you a hard time, but like somehow ended up at that show. And there you were like in your glory, like rocking the gymnastic side, rocking the rock side, being lifted. Like what, you know, they say the greatest payback is success. So I'm going to pretend that that happened that day. Well, he's probably thinking, what the hell is this gymnast doing scene? (laughs) (laughs) That was really neat. And it's just, I think it's, we were touring with the Soviet Union at the time and it was still the Soviet Union, you know, uh, and it was just neat to get kind of their perspective, which is a whole different culture at that time. There was a loosening up of everyone's personality. And I think everyone just kind of let everything else go. And Mm -hmm. that was truly in the moment, kind of that whole event. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. so yeah so what was that like I mean from the outside you in in 92 that the Soviet team looked intimidating stoic um I intimidating is the only word I can think of just strictly from watching on the screen that's what I saw and that's what a lot of people saw so to think of you guys being on tour together and it not being in a competition setting like what what was that dynamic like it's it's cool to it's cool to observe. First time I was in the Soviet Union was 1986, and it was still very Iron Curtainish kind of, and it was in colder parts of the month and gloomy. To answer your question directly, I talked to Dmitry Bilizerchev. Just guy was phenomenal. And then if you remember, Jim Grigory Misutin. Yeah. He, he didn't speak yeah. great English, but anyway, at first I just drove him nuts. I was always screaming, and eventually he's like, Lance, I get you now. I understand. <laughs> but Dmitry Bilizerchev said, you know, Lance, it's like all that pressure, this is my job. The better I do at gymnastics, the better my family does, the better yeah. I do. I'm not going to be a lawyer or a doctor. I mean, this is this is my ticket. Where we have, you know, at that time, several more options than what is the former Soviet Union now. So the whole perspective was different. That was their one ticket out. And uh, I think when we were on tour, kind of pulled them away from that thinking. You know, a tour is not business. If you fell or fall in competition, the Soviets aren't going to keep you off the team. You know, it, there was not a whole lot of consequence. So there's already inherent freedom and looseness about it. Yeah. But I think uh, seeing the other colors of everybody, I mean, they slowly come out of their shell. It's kind of a, you know, a cliche, but that's what happens. And I think, yeah, they just treated it like a business back then. That's their one ticket. And if they did bad in gymnastics, there was a lot more to lose than say, we lost more pride. They literally lost yeah. more opportunities. So Right. I think if you said, look, you're going to lose everything you've owned if you don't do well, we'd probably feel very differently about it, too. And I think it was that dynamic. Yes, that's a great perspective and and true. Very much so. I wish I could have been a fly in the wall, man. (laughs) You know, it's funny. It's you're talking about rock tours or tours of any nature. You're so enabled because you're so cushioned. You know, they feed you well. You've got stimulation with different cities and states. It's yeah. I can sit here and tell you in words all this, but the actual experience of it, you know, when somebody gets up and says, great to see you, California. Oh, I mean, Minnesota. 
you know, I, I, I get that. You get it, you yeah. Know, not, not that it's the rock star life. We, like, we did like 23 cities, but I think you're so immersed in the group you're with, or maybe yep. it's the band you're touring with or the other gymnasts that you're not paying attention where you are. You're saying, hey, these, these people are great or we're having a good time. So you're not thinking about those exterior things and you get them wrong sometimes, but from the outside, it looks ridiculous. But right. in the inside, you're having a good time. Yeah. Well, it just, it looks like the after party, the well-deserved after party. That is really good phrasing compared to competition. The tour is an after party. Yeah, with a very exclusive guest list. <laughs> no, no guarantees on that guest list. I'm grateful. <laughs> so you, uh, you were on the national team when you were 18. Is that right? And, yeah, and the senior were, national. Team. And that was the youngest national team member in like 20 years or something. Did you? Yeah, know Steve Hug, formerly 20 years prior. Yeah. Huh. It's it's just interesting to be. You know, I, I say this to everybody. You probably heard me in the John interview saying it too. I love men's gymnastics so much. And I feel like I, I want to be able to single-handedly just fix everything and get everybody to see how amazing it is and have it funded. Like, love it, love it, love it. But I do not technically know anywhere near what I know about women's gymnastics. Well, so you and John, you and John Rothsberger, uh, you touched on so many valuable points because it's, it's a marketing thing. Like I said, you know, American Ninja Warrior, anything you do after gymnastics, cheerleading, mm -hmm. it's this is your foundation and springboard. So you have that perspective, which I think would love to be marketed that way. And if you happen to be talented and go to the upper levels or want to make that commitment, because anyone can play basketball, you might be good or bad, but not anyone can walk in and just do gymnastics no. unless you define it as a, a cartwheel or a forward roll. So right. it's a different dynamic. And plus for men, we have six different events. And granted, you don't have to be an all-arounder these days, but think right. about from an all-arounder's perspective, it's like doing six different sports. Yeah. So it's not like I'm going to be a running back, enhance this skill. You are right. constantly trying to adjust and monitor how you're growing with certain skills to apply to all six different events. So it's, it's a very challenging sport, but you don't have to be great on all six events to be great at anything physical after it. So. It's almost like if you do well in all of those six events and are successful, you could probably like juggle or do aerial silks <laughs> or hand balancing. You know, there's no, okay, you're, you're touching on and bringing up juggling. I love to juggle. I know. And I've been lucky to work with some of the better jugglers in the world in my entertainment life. Took me, you know, I made an Olympic team young at 18. So really 10 years I started, I was 10 years old. So eight years of really potent gymnastics, which is relatively young these days. Yeah. I made an Olympic team. I had some frustrations. Learning to juggle five balls, and, and I'm well beyond that now, but learning to juggle five balls was one of the most frustrating things I've ever done. Three hours, uh, no, two hours a day for three hours, anger management, throwing <laughs> nuts. But once you master five balls, then the whole advanced world it's, yeah. opens up because you have more balls in the air than you have hands to catch. Anyone can do three and four, but you, once you master five, man, it just it's a whole nother world. But didn't you have that thing where you're like, I... I'm an Olympian. I am a Goodwill Games champion. I should be able to do this. Like, did that make it more frustrating? No, I didn't think about that. It's funny because I think a lot of athletes don't come from that perspective. It doesn't serve you. I might have that title, but I applied myself in gymnastics. And apparently I was a little above average because I made an Olympic team and there's several great gymnasts that don't. So you can look at it from different ways. But when I started juggling, I thought I should have learned it faster because I'm a gymnast and aware of my body. Exactly. And, yeah. You know, I just, I was, I was surprised how long it took me. I was surprised how frustrating it was because it's like, it's like a lot of things, two steps forward, one step back. 
you go in there and it's like, man, it's like I haven't even done this before. Then the next day you have a breakthrough. You have, yeah. Similar to gymnastics. So there's a lot of parallels. But I, because I'm an Olympic gymnast, I don't think I expected myself to be a great juggler right away. But I did expect myself Figured. to learn faster than I did. So. <laughs> I did. Um, so I was a level 10 lifer, which the audience has heard me say that a million times. So not saying that I was anywhere near the level that you were. But... I had that mentality all the time. I was like, look what I can do. And you can't do like, I can do anything. And it was basically true in gym class. Like everything was a little easier, came a little easier to the point where I I got a little cocky and decided I wanted to start snowboarding and went out and bought everything. I got a commitment. Oh yeah. I got a season. I looked good. And I got a season pass. (laughs) Hey, look is important. If you're going to fall, you better look good. I looked looked good. And uh, yeah, I went down that mountain one time. I was like, this is the stupidest sport. I hate it. I threw the board and it never left the garage ever since. I hated it because I couldn't do it, which meant that the sport was stupid, not me. So (laughs) I understand. I like the perspective. Makes it a lot easier to say I'm done with this. (laughs) Not my fault. I have so many parallels to that dynamic and we all do. (laughs) It took me a year to learn a stalter. It's a B-value skill, a stalter. I mean, that should be something you learn when you're younger. And yet a Kovacs came like in a week or two, you know? So wow. it's funny when you hit on yeah. town. So yeah, I've got the title of Olympian. Doesn't mean you learn every, I'm not Olympic at everything. <laughs> and incidentally, my parallel is I went snowboarding once and I'd skied before and skiing was pretty natural. It was Same like, a, yeah, it's like long rollerblades and I could rollerblade pretty comfortably. I was, I sucked snowboarding. And it was in Czech Republic, where my wife was from. And she said, I'm falling all over the place. And she says, no, you're doing really good. <laughs> you got to be kidding. I should be like, I used to skateboard when I was younger. But it was, I was surprised again how unnaturally it came. Yeah, because snowboarding's stupid. <laughs> Just kidding. Not for Sean White. Don't send your hate <laughs> emails. <laughs> all right. So are you ready for some videos? Sure. All right, let's do it. So the summer 2022 season of Precision Camps is fully booked, and here are the dates and locations. Roanoke, Virginia, June 13th to the 16th. Essex, Vermont, June 20th to the 23rd. And then get this, we've got two back-to-back Massachusetts camps. And for these, there's actually an offer of buy one camp, get one half off. So I encourage you to jump on that. The Massachusetts camps are July 18th to the 21st in Stoughton, Massachusetts, and July 25th to the 28th in North Andover, Massachusetts. Then we have Rhode Island, August 22nd to the 25th. These camps are for all competitive levels and leagues of women's gymnastics, including technical training on all events, by world-class clinicians, artistry training developed by Precision Choreography's team of amazing choreographers, judging insight by top judges, mental toughness training, and injury prevention education. There are also opportunities for individual sessions for private lessons in choreography. And these camps have unparalleled coaches' education. Info and registration can be found at precisionchoreo.com forward slash registration. That's precisionchoreo.com forward slash registration. This show is brought to you by Creatively Disruptive, the marketing team behind your team. You've heard me talk about them before, and I'm going to keep doing it because they're amazing. Check them out at creativelydisruptive.com. They can help your gym increase revenue, increase numbers, and help you understand the steps it took to get there so that you can continue to progress.
All right. So are you ready for some videos? Sure. All right, let's do it. <laughs> All right. So what are we watching here? This is 1988 Olympics compulsory high bar. Little flat. <laughs> Man, first thought is I think so young. And like a chicken with my head cut off, I didn't know the nature of certain levels of pressure. You know, this was not supposed to be happening. I wasn't supposed to be on this Olympic team. So it was like a euphoric, innocent ride. What do you mean you weren't supposed to be on this Olympic team? Well, 18, you know, I was, I came on the scene really quickly. I'll break it down just briefly. Yeah. 1986, 59th all around on the senior level. 1987, 24th all around at national championships. 1988, 6th at nationals. Olympic trials, 1988, 5th in the all around. The Olympics, 3rd for America. That is in two years, an incredible crescendo of climbing. So when I say I wasn't really expected to make that Olympic team, when you're, you know, in 1986, two years before the Olympics, you're 59th in the country. You're not thinking, wow, I got a shot, you know, so it all happened pretty quick. So at the age of 18, even some commentary was like, you know, around 92, this guy should be more primed for it. So in that respect, I wasn't really, you know, just honestly, I wasn't thinking about, you know, making the Olympic team. Although our coach, Ed Birch, this guy, man, everything was possible for him. He's like, yeah, you're going to make it. If you're not going to make it, I'm going to make it. Hope to see you there. You know, he was, so I guess perspective, I was, I had more of an innocent perspective about gymnastics. You know, there's, people are driven two ways. Actually, Sam Kulik and John Rosberger. And this is presumptuous of me for Sam, because I don't know him as well, but you're driven by fear or opportunity. Now, Johnny had the appearance of saying, let me go compete and show you how good I am. I can't wait for that opportunity. Then you've got people more like me and assumably Sam, but I don't know because he actually competed pretty well. But you're like, man, I don't want to fail. I hate that feeling. You know, I train hard so you avoid that feeling. Yeah. And they both have similar results. You, sent, you tend to excel. And over my career, kind of evolved to a, let me show you how good I am from a please don't screw up kind of. But there are some people that inherently had that. Blaine Wilson was the, I want to paraphrase, eye of the tiger, opportunity kind of driven guy. And so I, because I was more of a, I don't want to screw up, I didn't think, yeah, um, let me show you. I'm going to make the Olympics. I'll show you. I was thinking, man, just keep doing your job. And I can't control those things. So I had to simplify it for myself and just focus on the gymnastics, which I love doing. I, mean, I loved training. Competition was, it wasn't my, my desire. Well, people like Blaine Wilson and John, they seemed to like thrive on it. I was like, for me, it was something incidentally you did, just enjoying the sport and as you climb the ring. So different perspectives. Yeah. Okay. So it's more so that prior to trials you didn't belong on that team on paper it wouldn't well, it didn't make sense i would even really you, you if you were you know would you say sixth and then fifth and then third you oh, that, belong there well you think about like 87 the year before i was 24th at nationals senior national right so you got to be top seven or top six competing tax so from that perspective you're like man yeah. the stars got to line up you got to yep. do but also it wasn't like when I was at national, I took sixth at championships in the USA in 1988. Then you start thinking, wow, you know, I'm, I'm right. I'm on the bubble. If I can have that in same comp, then you start cranking the gears a little bit. But before then, good grief, you know, you have an injury, you have a sickness that there's so many variables. So I never wanted yeah. to get ahead of myself. I'm a, I, I was afraid it would distract from what needed to be done, which is the training in the gymnastics. Right. So just my perspective. But that's great because regardless of what was happening in competitions, you love training so much that you would have kept training it anyway, right? Even if you weren't oh, on that yeah. bubble, you just, 
So you mentioned injuries and and that's one of the things with your career too, is that you really were, did pretty well. I know you had an, an untimely one, uh, 92, but you really, you were pretty healthy. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I think remarkably compared to some others I could cite, but you know, yeah. I know some people that have had five surgeries, six surgeries, yeah. and I'm not saying they're completely injury prone. There's, there's all kinds of outside circumstances, but I had one surgery and close to 16 years of gymnastics, sprained my ankle pretty bad a couple of times, but that's a sprained ankle. I think I was probably more naturally flexible than a lot of my peers. That probably helped. And then fortune shines on you or you have some good habits. Like Birch, our coach, we did a lot of fundamental stuff. I think a lot of gyms do. So, you know, it's hard to look back and say why I got hurt a lot or why I didn't. Yeah. But I did not. I'm grateful. And, uh, you know, one surgery and definitely didn't. You know, I think that was USA versus Russia in 1989, Columbus, where I got hurt on a handspring full on vault. That was, that, that was not my shoulder. That was a different one. Um, that took me away from that competition. That's the only competition I missed other than what you decided was accidentally. It was, I mean, incidentally, the 1991 world championships in Indianapolis is where I tore my pectoralis major off my humor. So, and it was untimely because it was a year before the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And even that, some insight on that, it wasn't like this freak thing that just happened. I was having a lot of pain with it. in the inner squad in Ohio. I kind of, tweaked it on a front one and three quarters on the parallel bars where, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I was kind of doing this and actually John Roethlisberger, he was the reserve on that team. And I, it was touch and go. I was like, John, be ready. Cause this thing is weird, you know, and it was giving me a lot of pain. So I knew it would hurt in the competition in the world championships, but you don't back off before world championships. You know, you're kind of trying to find that balance. Yeah. And although I knew it would hurt, I never really considered that my body would break because I never really had that before. So, uh, yeah, that was my one injury and in the middle of a world championships, like Velcro, <laughs> you know, I mean, was, you know, yeah. you know, like it just didn't really hurt that bad, but it sure felt hot, <laughs> a lot of heat. You know? Yeah, I bet. but you didn't recognize the warning signs because it, you hadn't experienced that before. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. were present and in yeah. hindsight, I'd be like, Hey man, respect the body more, but because I'd never had a serious injury, I thought, yeah. you know, we all work through a certain amount of discomfort and of course, you know. I didn't think it was that outstanding out of the ordinary. Right, right. All right. You ready for another one? Hmm. All right. I'll keep my teeth away from the screen. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> Just lean in. <laughs> <laughs> that last clip was pretty, I didn't see that till actually recently. Oh, yeah. And I think it's still cool because whoever posted it, that's just cool for me. Ah, yeah, this is something new. <laughs> this is great. All right. So, what's this? This is the 1990 Goodwill Games, Tacoma Dome, Seattle, Washington. Uh, This is, well, my highest accolade. This is my highest world ranking, a gold medal on high bar. And this is, man, I'll break down what's going through your head. But, you know, when you compete throughout a career, you get pretty experienced with that environment. But you go brain dead before you start. I think most gymnasts will tell you that. You're raised, before you're about to go, you're anxious and you're nervous and you're kind of, you're feeling it. But once you raise that hand to the judge, like, as I look at this routine right now, I'm not thinking about anything. You're just doing. So uh, I'll tell you exactly what it's like. It's like when you're in training, you're programming yourself like a computer. Mm-hmm. When you raise your hand to a judge, you're hitting execute on that program. And any thoughts you have are just viruses that get in the way. The, I think focus is turning your brain off, not turning it on. And so when I watched that competition, mm-hmm. I was just doing. I, I didn't really think anything. But leading up to that event, there's a funny story about that in the TV coverage. 
but I, I was nervous today that the, the person before me, because I was like the last one up. And I was like, I, I just, I knew I had a chance for a medal, which is really rare for me to feel like that. And, but once I raised my hand, you just, man, you, you, it's like Bill Zerchev said, Dimitri, it's professional. You go into your competitive mode. Funny thing about that I was going to make reference to is it was being filmed live and I'm mm -hmm. about to go on the high bar and all my friends and peers are watching at home on TV. And what they hear is, all right, Lance Reynolds about to go. We'll be right back after this uh, public service announcement. And they cut the commercial <laughs> while I'm going. So I was competing and they knew that because they didn't stop for that. They did tape delay and Tim Daggett was commentary. So uh, everyone, all my peers and friends had to sit back and just wait and wonder how I was doing while they're watching commercials on, you know, whatever. <laughs> and when they came back and they could tell from how I looked and kind of the response that it was probably a positive effect, but they, they said just moments ago on the high bar. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's a cool thing. It also, yeah. I, I can't help but compare levels of gymnastics now to then. Like this was a very, very competitive ahead of its time, a little bit uh, routine. And now they're just, they're just such incredible trends. Well, what I'm noticing, um, I, you rarely see guys do gingers anymore. No, I mean, it's a C release. I guess when you're yeah. a junior, it suffices some requirements, but you know, you, you got a limited amount of skills to start as high as you can and a ginger doesn't really serve you. So yeah. it's yeah. going to turn into eventually the progressive cartwheel on high bar. Yeah, I can do one of those, but you know, yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't do anything. That was such a neat moment. Like so many successes, I think for my peers and myself, you don't know the impact or the result of it until the time that follows when you have someone recognize you or make reference to that success or realize how many other ways it could have gone because you know Andy Warhol's 15 minutes of fame that was one of my that was like the pinnacle for me winning gold medals tying with Sherbo actually and um that guy I think right in that there. time yeah for that 15 minutes I was world champion on high bar and if I compete a weekend later maybe I fall maybe I don't have a good routine you know so you take it when you get it and you train hard to get it and no one stays perfect forever, but you try to come as close as you can. And those moments you do like this moment is those are the moments that stay with you that define what else you want to do after this. And then, man, you reference this all throughout your life. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. you become grateful for those moments because they're guaranteed to no one. They can't be bought and you're, you're training to increase the odds that that would happen. And everyone's doing that. So it's competitive. You just, and you got one shot that always shocked me that dynamic. The Olympics every four, four years, notwithstanding virus where it's five years. Mm. You train all these years, raise your hand, and you start your routine. And here it is. Good luck. Hope you do well. Four years investment. It just seems like a raw deal, but that's part of the that's part of the dynamic. Wow, here's your one shot. So fascinating to me in hindsight, especially. Yeah. And that's the stress. Now, I don't miss that part. And you've said this twice now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you've said this twice now. You're you're training to, what did you say? You're training to increase, increase the odds. your odds of luck. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a perspective. You could say yeah. that, but it's the more you can make it automatic. Okay. This is going to be a little surreal, but I'll describe it like vault. We train so hard that when I'm standing, looking at a vault and from your gymnastics career, you could probably identify with this as well. Before I start running, I can already feel every movement in my body. Mm -hmm. So it's like a mold. So as I'm running, I'm just fulfilling that mold that's yeah, already yeah. there. And you, that is hard to explain to someone that doesn't know that dynamic, but that's when you know you want, you know, it's a muscle memory or body, but that's when you know you and your gymnastics are one. Sounds all mm -hmm. wacky, I know, but you're, you're just oh, going through these great. motions that your body feels it. And it's, it's an amazing thing. I mean, on the contrary, if you've never done it before, as you're doing it, you go, what the hell's going on? I, I have no idea. Right, right. And, 
and once you master it, you're like, this is exactly how it should be. And my body is making micro adjustments in real time as I do it. it that, that's the process of not being able to do it and mastering. It. It's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. There's a, a book that my husband always references called Effort, Effortless Mastery. 10,000 hour rule, that kind of thing. Um, I'm not sure, but I know that that's something he's been mentioning a lot that I'm supposed to read apparently. But, but in terms of music, it's, it's that idea. And we have so many conversations about the, the comparisons between music and gymnastics. He's a drummer. I'm a gymnast and, and there are, and it's that they call it in the pocket, right? Where you're just, like you said, you're in it. I define in the pocket as totally no thought, just do. That's when that program is running. I play piano. So I really appreciate and identify with Mm -hmm. music. And it's very much like gymnastics that, you know, eventually you're focusing on learning. Once you've learned it, then you just express. And I think that's what gymnastics is. It's like an expression of all those minute details that separate you from the rest and make it more aesthetic or beautiful that you'd never consider when you're learning. You're like, da, 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 da. This is, you know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. You're literally doing the black and white that's on the page. And then you add your style and you can't really put your style on paper. That's exactly it. I mean, here's the robotic version. And then here's the, here, I'm going to share it with Mm -hmm. you. I mean, when you get to that, like if he's a, your husband's a drummer, he's just playing. I mean, you talk about the flat, you're just doing, you, you feel and do feel and do. And then when you're learning to read, it's like, okay, read (laughs) and then go through the motion and read and go through the motion. And eventually, I mean, you, that's what you strive for that when you are one with your expression and, so, you know, just do we say that I've mastered driving because I can't tell you how many times like 10 minutes goes by. I'm like, how do, how are we still on the road? My kids are in the backseat. What, where did I just go? But I drove I perfectly. I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> they talk about that a lot in memory, you know, about your attention and how some of the best mnemonist memory guys in the world are very forgetful. So I, I don't remember everything. They don't remember everything. But if you say, don't forget this, they'll remember. So if I tell you, make sure you remember how you got there, you'll pay attention. But other than that, this is not very challenging or stimulating. So it's easy to say. It's such a weird phenomenon. All right, here we go. Are you having fun? I love this stuff. I mean, how indulgent is done talk about yourself and the world that you love so much, gymnastics and your peers. And I, you know, it's, it's incredible. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, this was a challenging time. Yeah. I look pretty relaxed, don't I? Sure. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, sure. Wow, look at this. I don't think I've seen this for a long time. I know the other, like, there's high bar and P bars, but this is pretty cool. I got to check this out. Yeah. So that's a 1992 Olympic yeah. trials vault. Right. Nice hop along, little bunny rabbit. Come on, <laughs> stick it. Come on. <laughs> well, you're talking about the landing, but I wanted to ask you, um, did you, are you just running for show? Because <laughs> I don't know how you do this. That vault was, I mean, it popped, but you look like you're just like trotting through the fields, like nothing. It's, uh, you know, your Chinko, especially you look back at those long, long horses. Yeah. I mean, the new generation are going, what oh, the hell? Yeah. You guys vaulted on that right? thing. You know, it's, so I was more concerned with timing and positioning on your Chinko that way than you know, kind of balls to the wall yeah. of power. But you got it. It was high. And it's just funny. I, you watch the run and you're like, what is he? Is he just doing a timer? No. Nope. Well, that's it. If you watch, I think the best Yurchenko at this time, hands down, was Vitaly Shirbo. And even he told me, he said, Lance, look, I'm talented, but this, this skill, Yurchenko, that I do better than anybody. That I do uniquely good. And, you know, <laughs> you got to know Vitaly. He's pretty yep. confident. But 
what he was telling me is on this, you know, Lee Jing was another gymnast doing Yurchenko double fold at the time, but it was not like Vitaly's. And it's, uh, anyway, for that, he didn't run super fast, if you watch it, but his last two or three steps were really aggressive to the board. I don't have that aggression. I was more concerned with control where he just, he wanted the power. So, you know, it's not slow and no disrespect, but it, it's kind of like a little Yurchenko full. And, you know, humbly, it's only a full. So I didn't have to really apply super energy. Now I trained double full and I think I did run harder for that. And I did go everything a little bit harder. But here I was worried about more control. And, you know, I guess it's kind of like uh, you can't you can't swing at a golf ball with all your might and hit it perfect every time. You're trying to measure control and accuracy. And in your chinko, I kind of lean towards accuracy more than power. I was never fearful of, of risk. You know, I just you don't want to go off to the side and miss a right. hand which incidentally, you know, happened to Trent Demas, who, you know, did that. You can go reference it on YouTube, Trent Demas, Yurchenko, whatever. And he came in, came back from that just fine. But, you know, we had a, it's a long horse. You know, during Yurchenko on that time was, you know, I think it was banned for a long time before mm -hmm. that. And then, anyway, then I'm thinking of some other balls. Handspring, triple front. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, I don't know, it was, uh, Olaf did it from Ukraine. He did it in competition. I don't know if you're familiar. Not and a handspring they, double front, landed, a handspring triple front? No, handspring so triple three front. three and a half flips, basically. Three and a half. He did it. And, and he hit his feet first. It's Holy pretty close. Shit. And everyone was like amazed. And instantly it was banned. <laughs> Too dangerous. You know? so, but, but he did. It. I mean, that was, that's pretty impressive, man. Good for <laughs> so, you. Nobody else gets to try. <laughs> that's Holy right. Cow. It's named after you. No one's allowed to do it. <laughs> I see that. Uh, unbelievable. You know, Simone, I was just so impressed with her technique and the explosion, vertical explosion. It's, I've seen some good Yurchinkos and there are some great ones, but hers oh. is just slightly, you know, hers is the highest one to me. And you think about that efficiency, the tongue makes the new vaulting yeah. horse makes it. Thank much you more for clarifying that your tongue you know, I, does not affect your vaulting ability. <laughs> exactly. The, tongue. Yep. the new yep. vaulting horse that would, yeah, I don't want to leave people going. <laughs> tongue bill. That's it. <laughs> Let's <laughs> all go. Let's go vault. Let's do it. <laughs> that was one of the best it, changes in gymnastics in in my yeah. you know a couple generations. That's just safer, more efficient, wonderful. I saw Maroni's vault in person um, at some competition, and uh, it doesn't. It just doesn't even. It didn't look real. It was even more so than. Yeah, it's like yeah. boom. So incredible. I mean, yeah, it's, it's beautiful pieces of it gymnastics. It is really. It, I, I'm kind of hard to impress, and that was really impressive to me. I just thought technically, so much of the time, it's not what you do to me, it's how you do it. And she just, man, just looked efficiency from all mm -hmm. perspectives yep. to me. Boom. Just oh, fun yeah. to watch. Makes me want to go, <laughs> <laughs> I just like, <laughs> I don't know, sad is like, boom, yeah. Like a mm -hmm. fast pitcher, <laughs> you know, just you like that sound. I don't know. I think <laughs> of that like, so I'm a judge also. And when we're talking about dynamics, right? Like dynamics is specifically or technically speaking, it's doing difficult things and making them look easy. It's hard to explain, but it's, I mean, but for vaults, I, I really think of it as like, if I can hear that vault and feel that vault, like you said, that's a dynamic vault. Mm -hmm. You know, I think even as a judge, it must affect you because there's one like power explosion by sound only. I mean, you don't really feel that when it's right. a flat fault, you know, you know, you kind of, it's like, like I use a pitcher analogy. If you're not watching and you listen, you a go, crack. wow, that is yeah. a fast oh, pitch oh. or yeah. yeah, crack. 
you know, same thing with bald. As a judge, if you put your head down and go, whoa, and that's a, it's, there is yeah. something there. And it's pretty, I had so many thoughts I wanted to share. Oh yeah, you're a judge, you said. Man, there's so many questions I would put back on you. Let's, Not to go off do it. too much, but well, like you're a judge, you know, the new judging system. I think it's more effective, but it's more complicated to me. You got two pools, you, you know, you, you have specialists that are contrary to the all-arounders. You got, you got two worlds of gymnastics within gymnastics. And I don't know if a lot of people out in the real world know this, but man, I, I like the specialists. They take that event to levels we didn't even consider. But the old triathlete, diehard decathlete, whatever, it's different. You know, I'm afraid what will happen, these all-arounders who are not at any level that the specialists are will be overshadowed. And that's like, you know, it's, it's exactly like the decathletes. You know, they're not the best at anything, but man, they're right. monsters. Right. And so how do you market that? It's- I mean, it's hard and it's almost like the, and they're going back to the, the other uh, team formation that they did the quad before this past one, supposedly. And it seems like I would think that the all arounders kind of, unless they're just, you know, all arounders that are, could be specialists on each event, you know, that good, but, but a great all arounder yeah. almost serves as just that perfect alternate. Cause we can put you in on anything. Well, wow, that's, that's interesting. That's kind of too bad. Not no shame on being an alternate. Obviously, all you know we we need that, and that's an incredible achievement. But it kind of puts them automatically in that role if you're looking at the team structure. Yeah, I mean, you make me think that there's like a divide growing over time between the all-arounders and the specialists. However, you want you want your all-arounders qualifying to all-around finals. So that is really where they. That's the other part of the strategy, right? You you want right. as many medals for your country, so where the team might be best built just on individual event specialists. Great. But now we've got nobody in the all around final and we want our two spots in there. So. You know, it's it's interesting because there's two potential medals in all around finals. There's six for the men in individual. And so there's more motivation, but there is like a divide. There's like the specialists and the all arounders. It just seems like they're two different perspectives. Like how do you combine those? You need your specialists on the team, but you need your all arounders on the team. And I think the all-arounders, the way the system is now, it serves you. The better you are at all six, the more probable you might, you know, get a berth on the team. But if you're phenomenal, like Pommel Horse, St- Stephen, I can't remember his last name, world champion in high No, I can't say it right. Okay, but I'm yeah. glad. I can't even try. But, you know, he's Nedorosic? he is the world champ. <laughs> yeah. Steve. 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 You know, Steve. Steve. <laughs> I saw a really interesting talk. I really liked it. He gave insight. Just talked in front of his camera. And I thought, and I don't know much about his career, but I, it was insightful to me. I like that. But he's the best in the world on that one event. And that's his workload. And you can't compare it to an all-around. It's a different sport. It's a whole different thing. And yet they share the same team. Specialists and all-arounders share the same team. So not really sure what to do with that, but it's interesting to me. And it definitely is moving a direction. Well, maybe we'll we see. put more than five or six people on a team. We put 12. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. Yeah. And then you got the limited, you know, trampoline. It, it's hard. You're trying to share. Yeah. I mean, they, they omitted wrestling for an Olympics or considered it and put it back. That's how it, it all started. I know. Tr- Isn't I know. That- it's a, it's a strange Isn't thing. That- and eventually, you know, when they put some, well, what did John say in his talk with you? Uh, he says when they, yeah, corn exactly. When they put the, he goes, I'm done with the Olympics. <laughs> that is not a sport. And you know, he's got a pretty legitimate argument. I mean, it's, you got to start, okay, you have to define what a sport is before you start putting them in the Olympics. And with no disrespect to Cornhole, I mean, it erupts, it's fun, but it's, uh, the Olympics is kind of built on the whole marathon thing, the whole wrestling thing, acrobatic gymnastics. It's, 
and I understand things evolve over time, but don't want to get too identity crisis prone. Some here. sort so of we'll endurance see. required. Yeah, I mean, going home. Ah, man, I got that really. I got, I got to take a day off, man. My shoulder, that cornhole thing, they're heavy. <laughs> yeah, but then it's like, you want a beer? Yep. Boom, that arm goes up quick, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. That's their training every evening. Yeah. Cornhole. cornhole. I got to do it. I'm dedicated to my sport. Got to keep my That's mobility. Right. <laughs> so funny. I mean, I don't expect all sports to be the same, but they should fall into some unified category. Yeah. So. Yeah, 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 same thing with X Games. That is a physical thing. I think that's a whole other conversation of what what actually establishes or justifies a sport. Right. But anyway, another time. Hey, well, we got the mini sub series, so we'll. Uh... I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're coming back! I'll tell you that right now. All right, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Dude, what the hell? 1989 Minnesota National Championships backpike off palm horse. <laughs> That is awesome. Yeah. You know what? That's a that move is no longer accepted. It's a move of no value band. But that was a D. And watch my hand. It stays on the horse the whole time, flips around and touches it. So cool. That's how you keep that skill square. Because I've seen other back <laughs> I got a flash the Scooby too. But you know, I really that was not a hard trick. I enjoyed doing it. It was a D level. And for my handstand, which was like everyone else's, it kind of set you apart. And now it's a little bit of a novelty, but I love that trick. So there you go. So I texted Blaine Wilson and said, I got <laughs> I got Lance coming on. What can you tell me? Sorry. <laughs> no, he said. Great guy does the best Axel Rose dismented pommels with a back. Well, he wrote back back. Wow. Enough said. Nuff said. Wow for the what? No, that was his to himself. He said he dismounted pommels with a back tuck. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. And he does a mean Axel Rose. He, <laughs> <laughs> he put a lot in that one little response. Great Axel Rose. You know, great Axel Rose flips off pommel. Nuff said. I, you know, I got to I never picture. considered what my it's funny at that time I never considered what my peers thought of it. Oh I just know that I'll read you another one. horse. <laughs> I'm gonna learn today. Wendy Bruce. <laughs> hey, I've got Lance Ringnall at two today. Any insight? Ask him to sing. Wear your Guns N' Roses shirt. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you heeded their advice. That's awesome. <laughs> yep. She said, uh, he. You know, all these accolades and what defines you <laughs> is a tone of Axl Rose, you know, which, is, which is awesome. <laughs> and your pommel dismount. He loves Guns N' Roses and can sing it almost identically. One of the last stops of our tour in 92, they allowed him to sing it in the arena. It was one of the most amazing moments to see him be able to perform for such a big crowd. Wow. You know, it's neat to hear someone else's perspective. In the moment, you're caught up in your own moment. But it's neat to see how others felt about it as part of it. You know, like a backflip can go either way. What the hell is that? How hokey. Or, wow, D move. Good score. Pretty well done. Yep. <laughs> it's interesting. So uh, these are... Oh, interesting this is cool i can't wait so listeners check the show notes for the link to our youtube channel which is uh, youtube.com forward slash what makes you think podcast and you will see lance's backpike off pommels pommels guys we're not saying peril bars off pommels pommels craziness Pommel horse all right you, you know another trick i'll reference real quick yeah. i did this at the 2000 reese's cup which is an entertainment based com competition um funny enough, that's <laughs> 
Is it the now? Okay, yeah, okay. I thought maybe I didn't know if we were done, but I'll just keep quiet. But I love that. Oh, please don't keep quiet. I'm just that's so funny because that's the video I have <laughs> up right it. now. I thought it was gonna see. Yeah, this is actually 2001. Um, so I think I believe I did it here as well. You're so serious. <laughs> hey, Scooby, serious business. <laughs> you know, a real man could have tumbled with that hat off. He's in a full Scooby-Doo outfit. Scooby head on top yeah. of the head and like in it was warm. character. There's some insight to this. This is the Reese's Cup 2001 entertainment based. And I talked to Tim Daggett before it and I said, look, I want to do a Thomas for a mount. And he goes, dude, you don't need to do that here. This is like, uh, you know, entertainment. Took my tail off and always got in the way. Oh, good acting. There you go. <laughs> was this competition <laughs> made for you? Because I kind of feel like they're like, oh, what? how can we showcase Lance best? Let's do. <laughs> I have not seen this for years. This is so fun. I mean, I'm just so grateful that I got to do that. And I'll thank Bob Collins. <laughs> no, God, I am Scooby. Look at that dude it's go. It's amazing. It's amazing. And Scooby found his tail. <laughs> the wet dog shake. The wet dog. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Tell me that. I know it's like. Yeah, you did a whatever Arabian one and a half scare everybody rollout and harder stuff. But what is this? Is uh, it's a straddled Arabian dive roll? But you do it incidentally. Like, it, it's beautiful. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was uh, like flared out. I mean, when you straddle it, it's really good for show. The 1988 Olympic floor compulsory mounted with front step out, round up, flip up, Arabian dive roll. I love that trick. But you and to straddle it was no different sorry to interrupt you i obviously i'm no, no. very excited about this skill oh i go off on tangents interrupt me anytime <laughs> go ahead but you well it's not so good for podcasting i gotta i gotta watch that but when you when you straddle you're at that quarter point and you're like looking over your shoulder like you stall for this moment before it changes and it's I, well insight into the skill i just think about kicking forward with that foot if you try to cook to the side you twist too much so just do a round off rebound kick one leg hard which initiates the twist. So anytime you look over your shoulder, the twist will happen mm -hmm. and it looks better delayed a little bit. It, it's, so cool. it's a really easy trick, but it just, it's kind of cool, kind of pretty. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh my gosh. So was there, was there something different you wanted to talk about with <laughs> Sorry, this is so funny. Um... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I've forgotten so much about- uh, it's, Extension it's roll stuff. with no arms. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, I was performing already on ships now, and I, I really like the environment performance. And great thing about gymnastics at this time is <laughs> you're trying to think anything that goes with dog. Right. Who let the dogs out? You can't hear it, but that's the music at the time. Yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. I'm just, I am so happy that I was able to do all this and have the platform to do this. Because, look, you can tell how self-indulgent it is. This is just, there's no consequence. You're just going to have a good time. You're going to share what you've trained so hard and long to do, and you're going to do it however you want. I mean, it's a pretty cool, it's a whole different genre than competition. So I just really enjoyed that. I mean, you're like smiling as you're running into your telling test. Uh, this is playtime. This, oh, this is a child's play. And the dog peeing leg lift. And the dog. <laughs> Look at that little boy. Look at that boy. The boy. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I think, you know, we talk about promotion of gymnastics and you know, Ninja Warrior kind of did it. It's just so prevalent, common now. But you have these competitions where they're done in a more mindful way. You know, you can't just kind of go in and throw them. But there's a lot of things you can do with the skills that a gymnast has. And I just, uh, yep. that are really interesting to people. 
because in the era of America's Got Talent, American Idol, there's so much bombardment and there's a lot of excellence around you. So you're trying to look at a way to mix the excellence with a way that translates to people because yeah. it's not always the hard stuff. It's finding that that connection. Of, it's interesting to me. And that 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 environment was that way. I think you saw a lot of people forced to, to kind of jump out of their box. And, and in the process, they kind of created some trends and some nice directions for people. It's yeah. Cool. There's some stuff that that was happening that I, I definitely wish as a fan were still around, like performances like that. I mean, that was <laughs> such a treat. And to you, I know you were, you know, having fun and and doing stuff that was probably easier for you. But it's it's so captivating in another way, even the quote unquote easy stuff. You're doing it so stylized that you almost recognize the difficulty of it more than if you did it more straightforward. Does that make sense? Like, you know, you made reference to it earlier in this conversation. You said you make the hard things look easy. Mm -hmm. And in my show, I say it's funny as a gymnast, you make the hard things look easy. In performance, you make the easy things look hard. Look at that. And yes. Yes. I mean, that's essentially what you're doing. And no disrespect to Cirque, but a lot of the stuff is easier for the performance, performers. And then they just do some darn right hard stuff. Right. But when you make it look hard, you know, the layman doesn't know the inside of it. What impresses me more about that routine, which didn't have a high level of difficulty, I like the flow of it. It kept going. There were points of interest. There's a lot of change within the lower level. It's just the theme fit the Scooby theme. Yep. And granted, the objective is different. You know, it's entertainment. But I look at that. I just I look, look at my endurance. I just kept going and going. And, and it was just simple stuff. But right. it, it, I think it keeps you interested. And I think if you mix that direction in, it's not all about perfect and difficult it's about connection and interpretation and i don't know i had this it's like kind of magoo but like communication people that can connect with something i learned this throughout performance and entertainment you know it's just uh they don't care about the hardest stuff very often they they care about things they can identify with in that moment yeah. without any prior knowledge so yep. that yep. kind of gave us that environment that's fun stuff man i mean i see high level gymnastics all the time and when you did those two no-handed back extension rolls whatever the heck you want to call them like that that's the thing that stood out like whoa that's isn't like, that whoa, funny because yeah. to me it's like hey i'll do this you know uh -huh. it's gimmicky cute and you know you you could do that right now but visually it's it's it's, it, it's a point of interest you go wow that's interesting yeah. can you do it with a full twist now right can you do it? You know, so you <laughs> the other thing i wish was still around was mixed pairs did you enjoy doing that i sure did you know it's funny um me and kim zameskel this is the Swiss Cup, Arthur Gander, was a three competition. This is 1989. I'm dating myself, obviously. But there was a mixed pairs in Switzerland. And uh, that was the first time I was exposed to mixed pairs. I, ultimately, I did the mixed pairs in America. But I think men don't have equal attention that women. And it kind of brought both of us up. And it also gave you some variety. And, and, and a plus, I like that dynamic. You know, it's kind of like team dynamics. I've seen USA Gymnastics play with some different marketing and different genres of entertainment and i think you do have those growing pains you try something and you learn yeah. and you want to do what's already a successful model but you also want to do something new that's hard yeah you know but i did like that i i like that forum you know it was i don't really know why because it's just men and women doing gymnastics but maybe there's a type of camaraderie with it but i just i kind of liked it it was fun yeah, mixed pairs is actually what made me want to be an elite because I was completely boy crazy. And I was like, wait, I can like <laughs> be matched up with a guy and like we'll compete together and like support each other. And yeah, that's my priorities. Well, for that demographic, then you got the old folks who are like, get past the guys, yeah. go back to the girls. Come on. <laughs> it depends your age, I guess. All right. 
So I reached out to you, I think a couple of times to, to try to make a connection. And then I saw your video of you. I'm going to try to describe this guys. You were doing a dance on your hands, but there was like a head coming out of your crotch. <laughs> not a real head folks, number. not a real head. And I was just like, this guy's so funny. I, I gotta, I gotta give it one more try. And I'm so glad we were able to connect after that. But that was like the final, like the straw that broke the camel's back in a good way where I'm like, I'm getting him on the show. That was freaking oh, that's hilarious. Awesome. If we do what you made reference to these little comeback things where maybe I'll toss that on and show your viewers just a little segment of it. Oh my gosh. It's not hard. Yes. Please. And you talk about interpretation, not doing the hardest stuff, but making the easier stuff look interesting. So just to, just to describe very briefly for your crowd, I kick upside down, a skirt falls down and there's a head and it's an Egyptian theme and you can do waves and you, it, it's hard to explain. You've seen this, but it's just interesting. And I performed that on a cruise ship in November, my first time back. Uh -huh. And I really didn't know how it was going to go over. I mean, cause I thought in my view, it's cute. And I'm doing a handstand with all kinds of balance and shapes. It looks so I was cool. really surprised. I mean, people really enjoyed that number and you kind of trip on those things. You go, wow, that, that translates, mm -hmm. that connects. And it, I got a lot of feedback from that and it's not like a triple backflip. It's, you know, you're, it's based around a handstand, uh -huh. but it is interesting. And I, I really like doing it. It just seems fun. That is, yes, that was very cool. And I definitely want people to watch that. So yeah. I'm glad right. you like it. That's cool. You're coming back already done. Cool. Okay. So were there any other gymnasts in your family? My mom and dad were both gymnasts. Were they? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I could, I, I mean, I can go, I can make your talk two hours long, but people are going to go to sleep. I mean, well, was, you gotta... was your mom's maiden name like Beamer or something? Like, <laughs> no. you know, you see where I'm going, right? I mean, your last name kind of is this self-fulfilling prophecy thing of like, Ring, well, ring, no. And I'm got... thinking about the John Roethlisberger reference to all his Olympic family. You know, it's pretty amazing. And he was right on that. The Ben Roethlisberger reference. He was very sharp. I was like, oh yeah, good for you. <laughs> he was on it before it got to him. And you know, it's. uh I mean, I could talk about the the ring no thing. They made reference Lord of the Rings. Yes, which was incidentally huge. was not my strongest event historically. But hey, it sounds good, right? Yep. Marketing. <laughs> but no, I was a hyperactive kid, nine years old breaking furniture, like a lot of kids out there do, jumping around. And my son is very much like that, David, who's four years old. But my dad and mom met in gymnastics in college, uh, not the level I was, but I had that exposure. Mm -hmm. And my dad taught me my first back handspring in the living room. So before I started gymnastics at the age of 10, I could do a back handspring and they never pushed it on me. My, my parents great about it. This yeah. is yours. We're proud of you. We support you. But uh, like I said, gymnastics chose me. So I was always, daddy, help me with this. Teach me. And I'd watch old videos on those projector things. Oh, man, I just, it's, it's an obsession, you know, and the pro and con of obsession is you tend to excel at it, but you do neglect a lot of other things. It's an inherent imbalance. Yeah. But boy, I mean, it was, I just couldn't wait to watch the next gymnastics, whatever. So it's, it's and my parents exposed that to me. They're both gymnasts. Dad was a good tumbler. So you, in your bio, one of your many bios says that you moved to train. Is that true? Yeah. It, you know, it's how you're responding. It is kind of a grayish area because you're from New Mexico, time, right? Yeah. New Mexico, which is a very strong men's program, gold cup gymnastics yep. at that time. Very strong. Chaney Humphrey, Trent Demas, Mihai Baju, John Roethlisberger would come down every summer and train with them because he trained. Anyway, uh, I was 15 essentially. And the gym I was at in 
Waco, Texas, <laughs> long history, it was going to close and they'd had to opt. They, they were looking for options. So I was pretty good gymnast, but you know, you're 14, you know, not, you're not really thinking Olympics. I mean, we didn't think that way. You're thinking for what's the best situation. Okay. So, uh, didn't really want to live away from home, you know, um, although I did for a while, but only two hours away. Actually, I stayed in Waco when my parents moved. Uh, a long story, I'm going to speed it up a little bit. My dad was going for a district manager position at, at, at Target, Target stores, and they didn't give it to him. So he's like, I think I'm done. So then Payless Shoe Source, very good at what he did. Yeah. They came along and said, we'll start you there. Come work for us. And where do you want to go? So we're like, great. Where do you want to go? And they liked Albuquerque because they'd oh. driven to you know Vegas for vacation. They liked it. so you look for men's programs, and dad had some options. Wow! Okay. So it was pretty mutual. I mean, we both. But my my mom and dad were really supportive of my gymnastics. What a great scenario, though. So because that's what I was wondering: is this one of those stories of you leaving home to go do this, or or how did that work out? But that's great. I mean, what a it was what cool. an ideal situation. I mean, my dad got a promotion to Hearst, Texas. So they moved from Waco to Hearst, which is two hours away. And I live with my coach. His name was Lance King, trained with a very good gymnast named Jared Hanks. I could go off on his career, great things. World champion, 1991, world championship team member, 1991. But um, anyway, it was an interesting time, but I, I lived away for probably about a year, but it was just, that program was probably just gonna go away. And so we knew that. So we we're kind of looking. So interesting to think, it's a long time ago. Yeah, all right. It's funny, the longer we talk, the faster I talk. So I got to try to get, no, I get excited. We, <laughs> no, we are going to wrap it up. I'm just trying to find out from you, like your, like, what do you want for the world? I know this sounds crazy. Okay, well, you know, I think we're probably all, as we get older, you kind of reevaluate perspectives and cause and effect. And stuff. It's going to sound all magoo. I wish people were nicer to each other. I wish people would take a moment to try to feel what another person is feeling. That's in gymnastics too. You know, what does it feel like? The cause and effect of what we did as gymnasts and Olympians, John Roethlisberger, say, I mean, name them all. You know, it's, I love this story about cause and effect because one day I'll die, I'll be on my deathbed and you'll look back and you'll think, you know, what was your contribution? What was your value? You know, not going into your belief system, just you, you'll reflect and what was your cause and effect? You know, was it a good life? And if you come from that perspective, it changes how you would do it now. So Brett McClure, I think I, I'm going to get his Olympics wrong, but I want to, he, 2004, maybe I should know that, but Brett McClure saw me win high bar at Goodwill games in 1990. So I went to a national championship. I'm going to bounce around a little bit, but it's brief. I was in the lobby getting some tickets at, at will call for nationals. And I had this gentleman come up and tap me on the shoulder. He goes, Lance Reno. They go, yeah. And he goes, my son started gymnastics because he saw you win a gold medal at the Goodwill games. I go really? Who's your son? Brett McClure went on to become an Olympic medalist. Yeah. And you think about the cause and effect of that. I mean, that, you know, I don't think we're looking so much for happiness. That's wonderful, but it's transitory. I think you're looking for meaning or purpose and you have those effects on people. I mean, he went off and, and the people he affected and, you know, this, that you say, what would I see with the world? You know, because it's tumultuous at sometimes you can go into all that genre, you know, but <clears throat> just treat people like you want to be treated, try to appreciate what someone is trying to do, you know, don't default on that it's nefarious or not good. I mean, we're just humans stumbling around doing the best we can. And over time, you hope you, you learn. And gymnastics is the perfect example. You, how many times do you fall trying to perfect these things? You know, and I don't want to be judged on my falls. You know, that, that is just human. So we're all on the same team. 
We all got different abilities. I think it's kind of a cool process to find what they are. And hopefully you get satisfaction sharing those abilities if you can. Which That's why I keep saying I'm grateful because USA Gymnastics allowed that for me. I got to, you know, if there was no system or organization, I'd just be flipping in the backyard because I love it. So I, I like that my gymnastics was my vehicle. And I learned all my life lessons, still learning. I met all my closest peers, got to travel the world around it. All the things that surrounded that vehicle of gymnastics. Yes, yes, it's just a sport. And it's, you know, if it wasn't gymnastics, it would be something else. Maybe not to that level, but that, that's why I'm so grateful. Because, okay, I'll tell you this. And I didn't know if it would come up or not, but I lost my wife four years ago. She died in childbirth. I'm so and, sorry. Uh, I appreciate that. And I can talk about it now. It's fine. But the reason I bring it up is that changes your perspective. And at that point, I realized, man, we don't have control of anything, you know, and it's uh, mm -hmm. and so I have my twins, one boy, one girl from her. And that's my connection with it. My wife was a really good person. And um, yeah. anyway, so when you concede that you can only control certain things, then you default on you do the best you can. And if you can help, help, then hopefully it'll be returned to and, and that's the best we can do gymnastics gave me that that vehicle for cause and effect of people and my peers and that's why even with the roller coaster of life for everybody you know you're up and down i'm very grateful even with hardships also i think i told you i go on tangents but as you get older you experience more loss you experience you shift when i lost my mm -hmm. wife everything was shifted like my perspectives my values you know <clears throat> but i'm still very grateful for her my kids my peers i said this in the new year's comment to everyone you know I don't think people understand or realize how appreciative I am for them because without all my peers Johnny just John Rosenberger just texted me and said man some of the best times in my life were with you and that group and whether it's gymnastics or skateboarding on the playground or third grade science class you know those things have a lot of potency and I think we're just we take them for granted we're overlooked so when you ask that question, what do you want for the world? I mean, how broad can you get? <laughs> you know, that's pretty. So I try to narrow down my little perspective, but you know, I, I'm just, I'm very grateful and I will leave here one day and uh, I just want to have good cause and effect and anything past that's kind of over my head. So I just try to the best I can and I'm grateful for the peers and experiences I've had. How are you, how are you and your family doing now? Well, my kids are great. I mean, it's, uh, oh, guys, another conversation. I was very scared to have kids. And uh, I can talk about this and just my experience. I was with my wife for 13 years, but we decided to have kids later. She was a cancer survivor. So uh, we couldn't get pregnant conventionally. So we said, okay, that didn't work. We'll go to in vitro. And she was from the Czech Republic. And um, so we tried in vitro and the chemotherapy and radiation, it did, did some damage, you know, and just <clears throat> plus for, she was 41. She was a cancer survivor. She wanted kids. And so we said, okay, how about donor egg? She said that. And I was a little bit, nah, I want them to be more you. I mean, she wanted kids. And this is, you don't have kids for somebody. And you have them because mm -hmm. you're ready and you want to raise your kids. And it took me a couple of years to get there. And she was very reasonable, very patient with me. But um, so we did in vitro and it, it took, you do a backup egg, which is around 5%. Wow. Both eggs took David and Gabriella. She got to hold them, got to kiss them. And it's, uh, and I'm grateful. And I, I think, that whole scenario when it played out um you know i was i was scared to have kids but i i wasn't really in my normal state of mind you know, i was dealing with uh, that grieving process and you know so i just i was like a robot i took care of my kids and and then that relationship formed i don't know if it's like this for everybody yeah. but 
as my kids grew, you just grow more and more attached to them and, and they're little human beings. And that's another reevaluation, but it's, uh, yeah, I can't talk about it too long, but you know, people have their things, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I, I'm, I'm appreciative of you sharing that. And, you know, like we said at the beginning, you and I don't know each other and you were very open when that happened. And I, I hope that you felt the flood of even people that didn't know you wanting to just surround you. Remarkable, Notice, noticeable and remarkable. I mean, you, you know, you realize that other people experience stuff like this, maybe not the same scenario, but humans go through trial. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough yeah. process, school, whatever you want to call it. And those things went a long ways. I mean, because I have a world in Czech Republic where I have tons of friends and family. And, and I've been over there a couple of times since and COVID made that harder now. But so I have that world that Bara, my wife opened up. And then I've got my gymnastics world and yeah. then cruise ships where I perform mostly when in normal times. I got that whole world and I'm just, what a remarkable development of a life to me. You know, I, I'm grateful for that because it's, in my view, it's so extraordinary to me. And I, I get to be with really talented people, really good, insightful people that are passionate about their arts and their skills. And so it, it is, uh, you know, I guess we all kind of take stock of our life and take a perspective. I'm kind of doing this out loud right now, but you know, it's what a life. We're just human and what a life. We've had multiple uh, impromptu therapy sessions on the show. So. <laughs> You know, two two friends talking is therapy. I mean, you, you gotta you're looking for a barometer of empathy and understanding, and just your own view tends to be off. So you, you kind of take in and try to get some more balance. So I've got some good balance, and my kids have a good situation. Yeah, those uh, those those paradigm shifts that happen when you think you see everything a certain way, and something major happens, good or bad, everything kind of tilts a little bit. It's funny you use the word tilt. I mean, it was specific. It, everything was shifted. That's the word that, that kept counting my brain. It's just, I mean, literally, not to be melodramatic, the whole world changed and my place in it and what the reason for everything. <clears throat> and when I lost my wife, that was, you know, that was like I was experiencing that. When somebody has cancer, they're experiencing that. And I know there's <clears throat> a productive disconnect from that. And I don't want to feel their pain. It's their time, but I sure don't wish that for them. And you, you try to give as much that you can, which is limited as a human being. I can't make people's cancer go away. I can't bring back loved ones. So you just say, hey, you're not alone. And we're all subject to life, which is tough. And that, that's it. But man, I've met some really good people. And it, um, not many people get to, to have those branches of their life. So that, that's, that's cool. But that's not luck either. I mean, I've talked to you for what, an hour and 28 minutes now. And wow. <laughs> I feel like I want to, I want to talk to you more and hang out with you more. So you, you're, you're attracting that. It's not just, oh, you're lucky you stumbled upon all these people. You, you, you surround yourself and you, you attract people to you because of who you are as well. I appreciate so that. They are lucky. You are lucky. I feel lucky. And um, I'm, I'm just happy to hear that, that you and your kids are doing well mm. and that, um, you know, they've, they've got an awesome dad. I appreciate that. Those are very kind words. Yeah. I think I feel cared about by my friends. And I think because they, they know that I care about them, you know, and my life would not be my life without them. And I'm happy with my life. So. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I, I usually end the show with when I say the word joy, what does it make you think? And I feel like we just did that. Yeah, we did a long synopsis. We did <laughs> a know? long one. We did you a know, long one. The first one. thing that came to mind was kids. 
and my yeah. kids drive me nuts, but I love them with all that I am. And it's uh, so joy. That's a that's another conversation. But you're right. We touched on those things that kind of broaden out and do to spread all that joy around in its different perspectives in different ways. Everyone's got their interpretation of it. But that was great. I really enjoyed this. Oh, I'm so glad. Anything you want to say or sing for us before we go? I'm not going to sing. If I would have known, I would have vocalized. Okay. <laughs> yes, there it is. <laughs> you, you have to warm up a certain way. Your, your husband would know this because I warm up to sing a certain, like a normal way, and then you warm up to sing like Axel, and they're different ways. So. <laughs> that was awesome because for a split second i thought you said and then you warm up to sound like an asshole. and then i'm like oh he said axel. Like axel. i told you i talk faster and faster the longer we talk <laughs> you're gonna need an interpreter by the time i'm done, done speaking oh my gosh that was amazing all right well is there anything you want to share about what you're doing and how people can connect with you or see what you're doing no, I mean, I'm on Facebook, but I'm not a fan of social <laughs> no. network. I mean, no, 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 I don't want anybody to. You later. <laughs> no, like, uh, I mean, I've got a website, uh, www.lancerignall.com. But okay, since, since COVID started, I don't really spend a whole lot of time there, but it's how I stay in touch with a lot of, you know, I do memory seminars. Most of it's about memory improvement and brain health and things like that. But of course, gymnasts get in touch with me. A lot of parents of gymnasts, but mm -hmm. lancerignall.com, www.lancerignall.com, okay. that's my website. And then I'm on Facebook. I'm easy to find. And, um, Clearly. I found you. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, I think it's cool. You know what's neat about YouTube? Just very briefly, you go look in YouTube and I've seen things I haven't seen for ages. And I think it's so cool that somebody posted that. Like, yeah, man, thanks a lot, dude. I mean, that's just neat. Cool. To me. I have YouTube to thank for this show's content. So, yeah, I thank you, YouTube. <laughs> That's really cool. For sure. I think yeah. about what you're doing from an outside perspective. You're taking people that have an above average unique vehicle, you know, Olympians, gymnasts, whatever, and perspective. And I think it's the same actor dynamic. You know, they have a unique level with, and for some reason, human dynamic, those perspectives are different. Oh, you waving? Hi. Just kidding. Oh, no. <laughs> Hi. Just come here. No, I think it's neat. You get, oh, that's awesome. How you doing, that's buddy? Mr. That's Mr. Lance. You want to say hi? Hi. Oh, hi. in the microphone. Hi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> You got some big eyes, buddy. There you go. You got some. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. How old are you, buddy? Six and a half. Six and a half. I asked that to get a barometer of how my kids may be when they're six and a half. They're, they're four <laughs> and a quarter now. So. His sister's four and a half. Oh, cool. Yep. This is Mr. Lance. I'll show you his videos after. You're going to go like this. What? So cool. <laughs> If you like juggling too, buddy, uh, I think I posted on YouTube some how to juggle. I do a documentary because I did I did something with the Champions Project and like a lot of Zoom stuff. Yeah, so I was doing like juggling lessons and. Oh, are you talking about with um with Cindy Bickman? Yeah. So we did that. Precision participated in that, and we had one of our choreographers on uh, around Halloween. Did the Thriller dance with everyone. Oh, oh! I don't speak with Cindy as often, but it's Paula Paula Lord that got me involved with that. So. You know, during, but they work together apparently. I, I don't yeah. really know the dynamic, but so I was doing a lot of things with the Champions Project and oh, you know, special awesome. needs. And that was fun, mostly juggling, stretching, gymnastics, but COVID shifted. Oh, of course. I yeah. did an episode a while back with Lonnie DeMello. She is world champion rhythmic gymnast. She's Down syndrome. She, she is 
she is so good. <laughs> She's so good. And her interview was, it was so oh, wow. fun. She was hilarious. Cindy was on with us. So uh, definitely go back and listen to that one. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Tell me her name again. Lonnie DeMello. DeMello. Okay, that's cool. Lonnie, yep. cool. All right, I think Buddy here wanted to say one more thing too. So hold on. What you saying, buddy? Happy New Year! <laughs> well, Happy New Year to you too, buddy. You're going to be like a whole year older at the end of this year. I'm going to be seven. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, Lance. Well, have a wonderful time. Thank you again. Uh, thanks for joining me and hug those kiddos. Will do. Pleasure, Nicole. All right. Bye. I think it's cool you wore the Guns N' Roses shirt. That's pretty classy. <laughs> wow. That was fun, wasn't it? Thank you so much, Lance. That was a great interview, and I can't wait for you to come back. Guys, please remember to follow the show on Twitter at YouThinkPod. And remember, you can always reach out to me directly on Facebook and Instagram at Nicole Langevin Consultant. And if you haven't already subscribed to the YouTube channel, please go check that out. It's youtube.com forward slash what makes you think podcast. We've got snippets and outtakes from the show, and you can actually see what's going on. You can also find me on Cameo. Sounds weird every time I say that, but it's true. And lastly, if you'd like to check out our Patreon, you can see the link in the show notes. We've got some really cool stuff to give back to you as a thank you for supporting the show. Until next week, keep thinking outside the box. Bye.